Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg is the founder of the Copenhagen Consensus Center think tank with Nobel laureates on staff. He's the former director of the Danish government's Environmental Assessment Institute, and he was named by Time magazine as one of the world's 100 most influential people. He's the author of False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. That'll be out in paperback next week, I believe. Uh, Dr. Lomborg, also syndicated international columnist, and he's back with us on The Roy Green Show. Good to have you back with us, Bjorn. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Roy. It's great to be back. Yeah. Uh, let, let's start with this. Um, 20 to 30 to 2050, generally are the targets, governments tell us, for achieving lower or net zero carbon emissions. Um, you wrote in a column recently that, quote, such targets rarely achieve anything, end quote. And then I went back and looked at some notes of previous conversations we've had, and you spoke about Biden and Trudeau's commitment to reach 40 to 45 percent of 2005 emissions by 2030. So the question is, let's put the two together. The first part uh, of my question and part two is, what will all this accomplish and at what cost? And then I suppose I really should start with, is it doable? Well, Roy, everything is doable if you're willing to pay a sufficient amount of resources. Uh, and, and that's, of course, where the real hitch lies. Uh, a lot of countries are now promising uh, to cut uh, emissions by, say, half uh, by 2030 and cut them totally by 2050. Yet most of this is simply wishful thinking. Just to give you a sense of proportion, uh, a new Nature paper a couple of months ago uh, showed that Biden's promise, or actually they couldn't quite make the model get to Biden's net zero. They could get to 95% reduction in 2050. That would cost a phenomenal 11.9% of U.S. GDP every year by 2050. That's the equivalent of $4.4 trillion every year, or a cost for each American of more than $11,000 every year. Of course, Americans are not actually going to vote for this. Remember, the, uh, there's a majority in the U.S. that would vote against $24 in cost, let alone $11,000. Yeah, you wrote in a in a column last week, uh, maybe 10, 10 or so days ago, either all electricity will go green by 2030 or 2035 because it's cheaper than the alternative, or more likely such a policy will simply drive up electricity prices to levels voters reject. Um, which one do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, it's very clear that politicians are arguing when they're faced with saying, this is going to be phenomenally expensive. They will tell you, oh, you know, innovation will fix all that. And look, it may actually happen. Innovation is what has helped us and fixed most problems for humanity in the past. Of course, politicians are investing way too little in innovations, but maybe innovations will come around. But more likely, politicians will find that just like in the rest of history, you can't actually just rip out the engine of economic growth for the last couple hundred years with no cost. It will be phenomenally costly, and voters will very likely put a stop to this before 2030 and certainly before 2050, and that they will have to you know, pay in the order of $11,000 per person per year. 
So we have a story today in Canada that the International Energy Agency is predicting interest in Canadian oil will fall before the end of the decade when it uh, will begin to recede. Are you on board or do you challenge the IEC on that prediction? The Canadian oil producing uh, oil producers certainly are challenging the IEC on that. Well, it it is one of those things that you say we're going to use less and less oil, we're going to use less and less coal and other fossil fuels. Uh, but what uh, most people forget is economics actually means that that will drive down the price. So the International Energy Agency uh, in their net zero report estimate that if you try to go to net zero, it basically means oil will come as cheap as $25 per barrel. Uh, and I would suggest that it seems unlikely that not a lot of people in a lot of countries are going to snap up oil at that price. So while it may be true for Canadian oil, because as I understand, Canadian oil is very expensive to produce, it's certainly not going in general to make it impossible that people will be using oil and coal and other fossil fuels. Actually, what happens is when you start doing green policies, you simply make fossil fuels cheaper for everyone else. This, of course, again underlines why we're not going to solve this problem by making everyone agree to incredibly hard and debilitating policies. We're going to solve this problem through innovation. Well, let's talk about that. I, I remember our conversation immediately prior to the 2015 COP conference in Paris and our conversation immediately after that conference, and you spoke about trillions of dollars achieving essentially nothing. And you do want to have a healthy planet, and you do believe and you do support that humans are responsible for raising the, uh, the, the temperatures, the AGW. So what's the formula that we should be engaging in and likely will not unless we're both going to be terribly surprised, after COP26. So on the sidelines of Paris, uh, President Obama and, and uh, uh, many other world leaders met to actually promise to drive up investment in innovation. Uh, they promised to double that investment. Of course, they haven't actually followed through on that. We've seen a slight increase, but nowhere near doubling. And a doubling is not enough. Remember, we spend very little globally on innovation. We spend an enormous amount of resources on inefficient technologies that feel green, but don't actually or can't actually be scaled. So what we really need is to get much, much more innovation. Fundamentally, the Paris Agreement and what people are trying to talk about in uh, Glasgow is a way of spending trillions of dollars and achieving fairly small reductions in temperature. That's because you get rich countries like Canada and others uh, committing to cutting some pretty painful uh, uh, emissions at very high cost, but globally it'll have very, very little impact. What you need is to get cheap green energies that are so cheap that the Chinese, the Indians, the Africans that are going to produce the vast amount of emissions in the 21st century will want to use them. If we could make green energy cheaper than fossil fuels, everyone would switch. It wouldn't be rocket science. You know, it's just like all other innovations. If you come up with the smart solution, you can get everyone to switch. But if you don't, 
it will always be uphill. It'll always be these meetings where everybody tries to twist each other's arms. You're going to get lots of beautiful promises, but you're going to get very, very little actual reduction in global emissions, even in 10, 20, 30 years from now. And you wrote a few days ago, and you've said this before, if uh, the clean energy plans that are being touted by governments and will be touted after COP26, if they, in fact, do take place, and if they, in fact, prove to be uh, doable on schedule, no date is required. It will just happen. So you don't have to have a deadline. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's of course, what's so absurd when, when, for instance, Boris Johnson is promising, oh, we'll get all this green energy because it's going to be cheaper. Well, if it's going to be cheaper, you don't need to promise it. It's just going to happen. But the reality, of course, is there's a very good chance, most people would believe, you know, almost a 100% chance that it won't happen because it's not cheap. That's why you need investment in green energy. Just to give a sense of proportion, right now the world spends about 15, 20 billion dollars on green innovation. We spend 10 times that amount on investment in green energy, basically inefficient subsidies for for, existing solar and wind. That's the wrong way around to spend 10 times as much on the stuff that won't solve the problem, but 10 times less on the stuff that actually will fix the problem. We have been told many times that climate change is an existential threat Wildfires, hurricanes, typhoons, earthquakes attributed to global warming. Uh, We've also been told it's the most significant health challenge of our time. Lauren, if we put those those headlines together, climate change and existential threat, wildfires, hurricanes, typhoons, earthquakes are being caused by global warming, and it's the most significant health challenge of our time. If we put those headlines together with the title of your book, False Alarm, Walk us through that, please. Uh, put the two together for us. Yes. So you definitely hear a lot of these alarms. And when you look at the media picture, it is true that you think you see more and more hurricanes, more and more damage. And of course, it feels that way because now you have CNN all the time running, every time showing you each and every catastrophe around the world. But if you actually look at the data, we do have this data back from 100 years ago from the International Disaster Database. We know how many people were actually harmed in weather-related disasters. It turns out that 100 years ago, about half a million people died on average from weather-related disasters. Last decade, that number was down to about 18,000. In 2021, we believe it'll end up around 5,000 people. We've seen a reduction in human death from weather-related disasters of more than 99%. I remember we've quadrupled the global population at the same time. The reason being that we are a technologically advanced species. We actually know how to deal with issues. And that's why everything we do, because we become more resilient, we are pulled out of poverty, that makes us much less likely to succumb to climate-related disasters. So while you hear a lot about these things, we're actually seeing people being much, much better off. And this is true in a wide range of areas. So while climate change definitely is a problem, remember, the UN tells us if we did nothing about this, so the UN Climate Panel, if we did nothing about climate change for the next 80 years, by 2100, temperatures would have risen 3.6 degrees. But what they tell us 
we would see a damage equivalent of 2.6% of global GDP by then. Paying 12% of GDP to avoid part of that damage is a really bad deal. That's so how expensive, point yeah, how expensive do you project energy costs for the average person to become if we follow along this path? It's, it's very hard to tell because what will happen, and we're seeing that, for instance, in Germany, is that you will increasingly switch over the cost of the energy to the state itself. So Germany has for a very long time, and, and hats off to them, been very honest about the incredible cost that they've seen, which is why Germany has one of the world's two highest costs of electricity in the world. Uh, they compete with Denmark every year, I'm sorry to say. Uh, so the reality is, it used to be incredibly expensive. That's obviously politically very, very hard and difficult. So now they're increasingly talking about switching it over to the state. So possibly electricity won't be so costly because the state will subsidize it. But of course, you still have to pay through your taxes. So one way or another, you're going to end up paying a lot. That's what the climate models actually show. What will this cost on average? And that was what I mentioned before. A new nature study shows that if Biden gets his way, it will cost, if they do this in the smartest possible way, it'll cost 12% of U.S. GDP. That's a lot of resources. That's more than Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security cost today. They cost about 11.6% of mm -hmm. U.S. GDP. So we're talking about an immense cost. Yeah. In the time we have left, let me come back to this international energy agency predicting interest in Canadian oil will fall before the end of the decade, and uh, they're saying it's going to be too expensive for the world anyway. What do you say Canada should be doing with our natural resources, namely oil and natural gas, at this point? What would you recommend? I, I, I'm sorry, I probably don't have a good suggestion to this because I don't know the circumstances, but very clearly what we need to do is to make sure that we don't end up pushing all of our production for instance, back to China and India, where they'll probably end up meaning more emissions rather than having it produced, for instance, in Canada. You have to be very careful to just say, oh, let's stop emitting here, but in reality, just push most of our uh, emissions invisibly through trade to China and India. So you should definitely think about using your resources. Maybe you shouldn't use all of them. Climate change is a problem, so we should be smart, but please don't just feel good by pushing it offshore and basically feel great, but not actually cutting your carbon emissions. Yeah. And in the 45 seconds we have left, your sustaining message has been in the years that I've spoken with you is that the world's poor battle with much greater challenges, starvation, poverty, dying from easily curable diseases and lack of education. That's where the focus should be. And that's where the money could go and help the world. Yes. And of course, yes, and of course, that's also what India and China and Africa want. They are not interested in cutting their carbon emissions, first and foremost. And remember, the Paris Agreement will increase the number of poor people by 11 million. But if okay. we start uh, doubling down in Glasgow, we could easily end up seeing another 80 million more people in poverty by 2030. All right. That's a real cost. Yeah, Dr. Bjorn Lomborg, the new book, or at least it's in paperback next week, False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. If you want to hear more, 
Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.